Welcome, friends, to my lovely, crazy life. I'm your host, Amanda Preston. I'm a mom of eight talking about adoption, foster care, and special needs. Join me each week as we dive into the messy, fill up your cup, and refresh your soul. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, Carabo, Stepping Out into Faith. Today, we're interviewing Tandila, and she has an amazing story. She actually has a whole book written about her called Kirabo. And she's just going to share a bit about her journey and her absolutely unique experience of adopting at a young age as a single lady um, in Uganda. So I hope you enjoy it. It's just a story meant to inspire and encourage. And I do encourage you to also go and find her book afterwards because it's so amazing. So uh, enjoy the ride and listen to this amazing story today. Hi, Tandela. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I wanted to just start by having you introduce yourself to everyone and telling us a little bit about who you are and how you're related to the adoption, foster care, or special needs world. Sure. So my name is Tandela Swan. I am. Uh, I have a couple hats. One is I'm the executive director of Amaris Adoption and Family Support Services here in Alberta. We offer support to families for international and domestic adoptions, as well as lots of Uh, post-adoption type support. And I am also an adoptive mom of three teenagers and um, I have three bio kids as well that are little. And yeah, I've been in this world for for quite a while. (laughs) Thanks. So you have such a unique story. So for those listening that don't know, uh, Tandela is actually the subject of a book called Carabo. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Carabo. Yeah. Kirabo. Okay, it's called Kirabo by Kavetta Rose. It's literally in my top five favorite books of all times. It was such an inspiring book. So I just wanted to have you here today to share your journey. Uh, normally we do, you know, more of a, an interview style. And today I would just love to hear about your journey. Uh, I definitely have some questions for you. But if you just want to share, starting a bit about how did you get started and, you know, sharing with others about your journey to Uganda and how that all began. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a long story, but basically I did my undergrad at McGill in Montreal and decided that God was calling me to do a year to to serve somewhere, connected with an orphanage in Uganda, thinking that, okay, I can go over there, give my year, come back and kind of do my life after that, not knowing what God had in store for me. But so I did end up going over there. Uh, again, a long story short, basically there was no orphanage, no kids, no funding, no nothing. So I ended up sort of traveling around Uganda a little bit, trying to find my place where I could sort of serve and help and um, connected with an orphanage in Jinja, which is sort of central Uganda, um, and was put in charge of, because of my massive amount of experience as a 21-year-old with <laughs> no children of my own, I was put in charge of like the 10 sort of high needs, highest needs children in the orphanage. Um, And one of those children was a little baby who was an eight month old, but he was about five or six pounds at the time. Um, And the backstory was that he was found, unfortunately found abandoned in the bottom of an outhouse hole at three pounds. And they brought him from from there to the to the hospital, only kept him there for a couple of days, and then brought him to the orphanage. And uh, eight months later, he was still not thriving. And a, a little 
bit into my time volunteering at the orphanage, we had an international doctor come there and, and do an assessment of the kids. And he gave this little guy a month or two to live because he just said he's not, it, they call it failure to thrive, which just basically means there's not a, a will to live. And so that night I was, I was renting a place, you know, just a little bit away from the orphanage. And that night when I went home, I just started bawling and I felt, I felt God very clearly saying to me, this is your son. And I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm 21. I'm single. I have no money. I'm here volunteering. I don't know the process. Like there was just, I had every imaginable reason why I should not go in that direction. Um, and so it was about two weeks of me battling back and forth with God saying, you know, like I don't have enough money. And then he would give me a verse that God provides if you step out in faith. And then like the verse, um, I was like, I'm too young, I'm single. And he's like, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, you know? And so just every kind of thing that I would bring to God, he would have this response to me very gently, but very clearly about like, this is what I'm calling you to do. And so after about two weeks of battling with God, as most of you might know, that doesn't work out very well. I finally said, okay, but you better take care of the the details because I don't know what I'm doing and what I'm getting into. So I started the fostering process there in Uganda at that time, had him in my home and decided to take some time off the orphanage just to spend. I mean, I mean, again, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew enough to kind of know that I needed to spend an individual time with him to work on the attachment. And um, so for about two weeks, he just screamed and screamed and screamed. And um, and I, yeah, didn't eat, didn't want to sleep. So I would just have him on my chest, um, trying to get, yeah, some kind of connection. And he wouldn't like, and I remember one night being out in the courtyard cause they, there was also no laundry facilities. There was no, I didn't have a fridge. Um, so it's not like the basic stuff that you would have here when you have a little baby. Um, so I was out in the courtyard scrubbing these cloth diapers that were just full of you know, like not great stuff. And I remember looking up at the stars and being like, because one of the verses God had given me was that verse in Isaiah that says, you know, if you if you spend yourselves on behalf of the needy, you'll be like a well-watered garden. And I remember looking up at the stars and being like, God, how is this like a well-watered garden? Like just so frustrated that like you had called me to this and yet you're not you're not stepping into this where like I, you know, I thought as soon as I was obedient, it would be like, you know, the heavens would open and everything would go perfectly well. So anyways, I, it was just kind of like I was lonely. I was young. I was in over my head. Um, but it was around the three week mark, I think, when I was um, home with him that I remember feeding him a bottle and he actually made eye contact with me. And that was the day that I knew something was different because before then he just sort of been sort of limp, wouldn't connect just it didn't seem to matter whether I was holding him or not holding him he's sort of the same response and at this point um something had changed and after that he started eating he started sitting up he started um, meeting many more of his milestones and by the time we came to Canada to visit my family for the first time um he was just after his first birthday he was almost totally on par developmentally at that point so yeah that's amazing. That's kind of the short version of that story. Um, and he is now 17 years old and um, in AAA hockey. And of course, at every stage, people were like, oh, just wait till he hits school years. Oh, just wait till, you know, like it was kind of always this like there's something's going to 
come up and he's always just been able to defeat the odds and through God's grace only. Um, he is, yeah, a healthy, thriving young man. So we're very grateful for him for sure. That's amazing. Now, before you went there, did you have it on your heart that you were open to adoption or had you always wanted to adopt at some point in your life? Like where were you on the adoption scale before you went there? Yeah, I would say, so when we were, when I was 10, my parents took us to the Philippines to live there for two years. And one of the things they did was they dropped my sister and I off at an orphanage every other day to volunteer. Um, And that definitely opened my eyes to a need in terms of children that need families. So I would say I was I was open to it one day, but definitely was not on my radar as a 21-year-old single. And again, like I said, I was just planning on going for the year, serve my time, come back and kind of get my life started. And God had other plans. It was it was something I was open to, but definitely not something that was uh, in my plans at that point, for sure. <laughs> so you definitely had some things happen that not a lot of people would have expected. And Uh, some factors that were going against what would have been considered the norm at the time. So you weren't married. uh, You were quite young. Did you have any other fears as you were entering? Like once you had kind of said, okay, God, I'll do this. What were some of your other fears around, okay, I'm going to be a 21-year-old single person adopting this baby? Well, one of the big ones was that we didn't know what his health status was. Like there, the people at the orphanage said there's a a high probability that he has HIV just because of his failure to thrive. And so a big piece that I had to work through was like, you know, just my fear around attaching and then losing him. Um, And I had to really walk into it like I, like I have with all of my adoptions, but um, just with an open hand in terms of whether I'm this little guy's mom for a month or 10 years or 50 years like that has to that can't really factor into me saying yes to this because I'm just I need to be obedient in this moment in what I'm being called to do and I can't there's so many unknowns that I can't sort of think too far along I just have to kind of be obedient in in this day in this moment and go from there. And how did people react to your decision both in Uganda and back at home to being a single person or a young person choosing to adopt? I mean, my husband and I both started the adoption process at uh, 19 and 20, and we got a lot of flack. And we were (laughs) in Canada and married and had a few less factors than you going on. And we still got a lot of like, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Don't you want to travel? Don't you want to live your life as this young person? Um, Did you experience any of that in either of those two countries? Oh, yeah, constantly, constantly. And even, even years and years and years later, still people questioning it, right? Um, One of the, the, one of the main people actually that questioned it was my pastor from Montreal at the time, who he actually said to me, you know, this isn't a puppy that you take home and then can return. And so I think he was well-meaning, but it was like, people just didn't understand why I would walk that journey um, at that age and at that stage and uh, across the world from any kind of supports. And to be fair, I didn't understand it either. I just knew that I was walking in obedience to what God had called me to at that point. And um, and that I loved this little guy like my own and was going to do whatever a parent would do to try to do the best for him. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily anything logical. And when you look at it from those lenses, I, I think majority of people, there's nothing logical necessarily about um, when we're called to adopt. But that's when God 
steps in and that's when you can really see who he is in those moments, right? Did you have a few key people that were supportive through that journey? Yeah, my parents and my sister primarily were, I think, hesitant because they were, I was talking to them from Uganda and they were in Canada, but um, as much as they could be supportive, they were. And so they just, the response was almost always, well, if this is what you feel called to do, then we will do whatever we can from our end to try to support you in that. So that was huge because there needed to be, definitely needed to be a few people that I could count on in the journey because it's it can be very lonely and it can be very long and very confusing for sure the like the paperwork process took almost four years for me to complete with him so it wasn't just a simple kind of and and at any point the judge could have overturned the the guardianship and he could have gone back into an orphanage after being with me so there was never any kind of guarantee throughout the whole process which was always very um, hard for me to emotionally sort of to cope with for sure. Now, some people, I've actually heard a lot of single women who have thought about wanting to adopt, but often get stuck in this. Is this going to affect me if I want to find a spouse in the future? Did that scare you at all doing this? (laughs) I think if I'd really thought about it, it might've, but, and it was just sort of this is what God's calling me to. And I have to step into that. And I don't know what that means for my future um, being, you know, single, but as, as only God can do when Mark was seven, I met my husband um, and he's actually from Colombia, So that was a whole other cultural piece. And he like, it actually was, it was so cool how God did it because my assumption at that point would have been like, I should either marry a white, like a Canadian, because that's my culture or an African, because that's my son's culture. And when my husband started sort of trying to date me at the time, I was like, not interested, because I didn't really want to bring another culture into the into the whole mix. But thankfully, God is knows better than I do. And my husband's culture has been, because that whole Spanish piece, like they, they don't really respect boundaries a lot in terms of like, physical touch and all of that stuff. Um, And I would have assumed that that like, because Mark um, his history, so sorry, Mark is my adopted son. Um, his history was one that he he does not like physical touch. And if my husband had been someone who respected that, I think the attachment wouldn't have happened. But because he, because of his culture, he actually would just like jump into bed with Mark at night and like snuggle right up into him and Mark would be stiff as a board. But now because my husband did that, they have a really close attachment and relationship. And so again, it's like just trusting that God knows better than we do what we need. And if that's part of our story, then he will find a way to to figure it out, right? Oh, wow. He knew all the different pieces that you needed when you needed them. (laughs) Totally. I mean, if you would have asked me when my son was five or six, was I frustrated that I was still a single mom? Um, Absolutely. So it's not like it was my timing, for sure. And and I, I was frustrated that my husband had, and my husband still will say this, that he missed, you know, seven years of of Mark's life is hard for him. Again, God knows the right timing and the right person and the right um, mix of of what people bring to the table so that, yeah, like he and Mark, I'd say they're even closer um, to each other than Mark is with me now, which is, which is awesome, right? Mm, That's so cool. Can you share a little bit about what some of the hardest parts of that journey were? Well, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but definitely the 
just the process, like the four years of paperwork and waiting and never knowing for sure whether it was going to go through or whether or not um, this little boy who I loved with all my heart was going to be have to go back to an orphanage after knowing what it meant to have a family for three and a half years. Um, so that part was really, really hard. And the judgment and kind of what, you know, we talked about a bit, you know, people, there's lots of people with opinions around, you know, as a single woman, why did you adopt a little boy? Like you were too young, he needs a dad, you know, culturally, are you making sure that you're uh, attending to his African culture needs? Like, so just lots of sort of judgment along the way and people sort of assuming that maybe they have a better idea than I do. And and oftentimes they did and I tried to listen, but it was so, it was so much just uh, God called me to this and I'm walking in obedience to it. No, do I, do I have all the answers? Definitely not. And that's why I needed God more than, than ever in that journey. Right. So it was super hard. It was super long. Um, but would I do it again? And in, in a second, absolutely. Mm. That's so good. Such an encouragement to others who are, sometimes facing these journeys that seem so impossible. Well, and I, I have done it again. Yeah. We, well, so we went on to get married um, and then had three biological children who are now four, six and nine. And then two years ago, um, my husband and I felt God calling us to adopt again. And this time teenagers, because um, the reality is most teenagers age out of of the system and don't have anywhere to go after that and so because my husband was from Colombia we decided to adopt um, from there and heard pretty quickly about a sibling group of two where he was two weeks away from aging out of care and would have had to um, take care of his younger sister on on his own once he aged out so we were it was a very fast adoption we were matched and down in country get, picking them up within three months of our paperwork being done oh, wow um and then yeah which was uh, hard in its own way like the weight is hard but then not really being prepared and not having rooms and all that done um is pretty crazy too and then going from a family of four to four kids to a family of six kids with these two teenagers who have a massive history of, of trauma and uh, abandonment, neglect. And um, it just, it's been, it's been a real adjustment for our family for sure. And for those kids, like, you know, I, I can't imagine coming to a new country, a new language, a new family, you know, the ages of 15 and 18. So um, they've been home with us now for two years and it's a daily a daily learning for all of us. And um, some days go really well and some days go really, really poorly. So we just try to, again, just try to be obedient in the, the moments that God has given us and in walking forward in, um, in what he's called us to. And, and then also giving ourselves and each other forgiveness when that doesn't go quite as well as we know it should. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Well, I'm not sure you can be the poster child for typical adoption processes. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. <laughs> so how did you find that that whole experience of uh, adopting, particularly the one uh, in Uganda when you were young and kind of going off of your faith there? How did you find that that changed you? Oh, like, well, I think any parent would say, becoming a parent changes you completely. So that piece for sure. But just uh, like 
Definitely in terms of my faith, there was a massive shift because I was relying 100% on on God to know how to be a parent, to know how to to walk that journey with as much grace as I possibly could, to make sure that I was listening to other people um, who knew more and better than I did, and also not listening to some people that were maybe trying to discourage me in the process. Yeah, my entire outlook on life changed. It shifted from it being about me and my desires and my future plans to about this little boy and what he needed, but even more so about who God was and what his plans were for my life. And so I think there was a lot of of selfishness that I had carried around, even though I was thinking I was being so selfless, you know, going to Africa to to volunteer and, and help. It was really about me in a lot of ways, needing to feel like I was good enough or needed or was doing something that was helpful. And a lot of that shifted when I adopted Mark and and just realized that this is not about me. This is about um, God could have used anybody and he chose me and he blessed me um, to walk in this, but um, he could have used somebody else. And so just to being humble in that and and trying to be obedient. I think that's been a big piece for me is just walking in obedience and walking with that open hand of these are gifts that God has given me for a time. I don't know how long that is ever. And I need to sort of hold that with an open hand that they are his first and then mine. And yeah, and just trying to do my little piece that I can every day. That's great. So uh, my last question for you then is, what words of wisdom would you have for others that are considering taking that step of faith? You know, you run an adoption agency over there and we run a support agency uh, where we're located. And one of the things that we see so often is whether it be both the, you know, both spouses or one person who's a single person or whoever it may be, they always are very scared to step out and make this decision, whether it be their first time adopting, whether it be they've already adopted once or twice and they're not sure whether they should do it again. There's always this fear of stepping out and doing it. Um, And even, am I good enough? You know, am I old enough? Do I have enough money? Do I have the right house? Do I, do I have the right ability to parent a child from a hard place? There's so many fears that we see from people. And I mean, you just had the whole whole gamut of fears, (laughs) the whole, the whole, crazy enchilada of everything that was going on over in Uganda, what would be your words of wisdom to people who are just not sure about stepping out in that faith? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say in general, nobody's ever ready. So at a certain point, you will have to just say, God, or if I don't know whether, I mean, if you don't have that faith piece, just that, you know, you have to walk out in sort of in a faith of knowing that you learn as you go some of that. But I would also say, um, I, I think I've grown and matured a little bit over time and also recognize that there are limits and that we need to make sure, I would I would say the biggest piece is working on our own stuff first. Um, it's not so much that I have enough money or that I'm a certain age or that I'm married or not married. It's more that do I have enough health within myself to walk this journey. Cause that's been one of the biggest pieces that I've learned, especially with our new adoption with the teenagers is um, through no fault of their own, they can 
find every imaginable button that you think you don't have and push it. And so if you haven't worked through some of your own hurt, some of your own um, demons, I guess you could call it, those will come up <laughs> and they will anyways, as, as any parent will probably tell you, kids in general will show you your weak areas. But I think especially kids from hard places just have a way of, of really exposing some of that. And if you haven't worked through it or aren't willing to work through it, it can really cause a lot of, of challenges. And so it's not so much the stage in life or the sort of outward pieces that you have to have in place. But I would say make sure that you are willing to work on some of the internal stuff because that is probably um, the hardest part. That's amazing advice. And, you know, we always get people who get so antsy during the waiting period, uh, particularly once they've already, you know, sent away their application and they're just waiting to be matched. And I always say, you know, while you're waiting, there's so many things you can do, like educating yourself about what you just mentioned, even something as simple as counseling and working on some of those things that you might not have realized you needed to work on to get yourself as strong as possible headed into this, because this isn't your typical parenting, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, like emphasize that enough in terms of like find people that are already in the journey, connect with them, listen to these kind of podcasts, go to waiting parent groups, go to counseling, read books, like just this is the time to do it. Um, because you're gonna like I could not survive without my people and without some of the understanding that I have of of my own weaknesses at our own stuff first. Thanks so much for having me. It's nice to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. Be sure to tune in next week for more exciting episodes and learn more on adoption, foster care, and special needs. And be sure to check us out on social media, Instagram, My Lovely Crazy Life AP, and our website, mylovelycrazylife.com. And please share and help us spread the word of our new podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.